Good morning, everyone. It's my, my joy, my joy to worship with you, and my privilege now to open God's Word with you. We're going to start a mini-series today on sharing the gospel, and it's intended to be a series that will equip you. Um, and by the gospel, I mean the good news of Jesus Christ and how it is that we can be saved from the punishment our sins deserve and can be reconciled to God for eternity because of what Jesus accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. It is good news that we have. It is a message that we have that we need to proclaim, that we need to preach, that we need to share with others. In Matthew 28, we see Jesus' final words to his followers and this final command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus' command to his disciples, to his followers, was to go and make disciples. That is, first of all, to go and find people who are not following Jesus, who have not placed their faith in Jesus, and tell them about him. And call them to place their faith in Jesus and become followers of Jesus. Evangelism, you could refer to that as. Making people who are doing what we can to help people who are not yet disciples become disciples. And secondly, there's this aspect, which is helping people who are Christians, who are already followers of Jesus, helping them follow Jesus more holistically and faithfully. We need to be about both of these things. And I would love to see us as a church grow in both these areas this year. I'd love to see us obey Jesus more faithfully in both these areas this year. And that, of course, is for the good of the people around us. It's for the good of the unsaved people who don't know Jesus. It's for the good of the Christians who do know Jesus, that they would come to know him more deeply and love him more deeply and walk with him more closely. And of course, it is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. It is so that Jesus will be exalted as he should be exalted. This is a big part of why we're here as a church, to be used of God to help people come to know him and love him and follow him with their lives. That's what we're here for. And so our goal in this particular mini-series is to focus on the first aspect of making disciples. Of, to focus in on evangelism, to grow in this era of evangelism, to be equipped to tell people who are not Christians about Jesus and about how they can be saved by him. So, this is a reminder. This is our mission. It's easy for us to forget it. It's easy for us to be faithful to God in a whole lot of other areas and neglect this area. It's easy for us to be fearful about this. Awkward, shy, uncomfortable about this. But I want to remind us now, this is the mission we've been given by Jesus. We must do this 
And one of the ways to help us do it is to get better equipped to do it so that we feel more confident to actually engage people with the truth of the gospel. So that's a big part of why we're doing this series, so that you can feel you've, you, you, you know what you need to share, you know how you, you can go about sharing it, you've got the confidence that you know what it is that you're aiming for in evangelism. Sadly, there are many, many people in this country, in fact, I, I believe the vast majority of people in this country, have heard the name of Jesus quite a lot and might even believe that they are Christians, but they have a warped, unbiblical understanding of Jesus, about God, about themselves, and they have a warped, unbiblical understanding of what our biggest problems really are and what help it is then that we really need. They may speak of God and Jesus and church and faith. They may use these Christian terms, but what do they mean by them? What is their understanding of of these things? Do they, in fact, have a true biblical outlook on life? Do they understand what the Bible teaches of what is true and real? They need to hear the truth. And they need to understand the truth. And that is our job. <laughs> That's our job. It's our job to help them understand. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God... Listen to this. Don't, don't, let's not just rush through this. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, unbelievers out there, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's an incredible mission, isn't it? What an incredible privilege. What a a weighty responsibility. As if God is making an appeal through us. We are ambassadors and we have a message from God to share with the lost and an appeal to make. We have good news. Good news of how God has made a way to forgive sinners and reconcile them to himself forever. Now, I want to be clear about our aims here, right? Because when we think about evangelism, there's so much we could get into. Um, We could spend years and years studying apologetics, which would equip us to answer a wide spectrum of arguments that people have against Christianity. Um, It would equip us to understand all sorts of different things that other religions believe and other uh, seemingly Christian cults believe and to be able to compare and contrast the different beliefs and be able to make arguments for why Christianity is better or more, more, more uh, truthful and more trustworthy. There's tons we could get into, okay? And that, I think, is also part of why we so often get overwhelmed by this idea of evangelism, so it's kind of scared off by it. 
apologetics is wonderful. And with time, I would love it if many of you, all of you, learned a little bit of apologetics, learned how to answer some of these particular uh, pushbacks or critiques that people might have of Christianity. It's a good thing to study. But that's not my goal in this mini-series. First and foremost, we must each be in a place where we can explain the gospel itself clearly. Just that, simply that. We want to be able to explain the gospel itself clearly so that people can know it and understand it and then be able to decide how they're going to respond to it. People can't respond to something that they don't actually know, that they don't actually understand. So we want to we help people get to the place where they know what the gospel message is, what the good news is, and they, they understand what it is that they're actually being called to respond to. At the end of the day, this is the most essential piece. You, you can have guys out there with doctorates, multiple doctorates in apologetics. But at the end of the day, with all that knowledge, with all, with all this uh, equipping they may have in, in, in rhetoric and, in, and, and, and logic and engaging people, at the end of the day, what is it that actually saves? The truth of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished in his life, his death, and his resurrection. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God to save. It is the power of God to save. And if we can at least communicate this gospel and people can hear it and understand it, then the Holy Spirit can take that and change lives. Raise the spiritually dead to life. The power is in this message itself. The content of this message about Jesus and all he's done. So that is our primary job. It's our primary job. And I want all of you, I want all of you to get to the place where you're able to do that. You're able to communicate this life-saving message. One helpful way to think about what we need to communicate, what we need to help people understand, is to remember this four-part outline and to use this as a guide when you share the gospel with others. God, man, Christ, response. And again, that's God, man, Christ, response. What we're going to do in this series is work our way through each of these four points, explaining them from key scripture passages, again with the goal that at the end of it all you will feel confident enough to take this outline and to use these scriptures we've talked through and have them guide you in sharing the gospel clearly with others. I should say here too, I think sometimes we think of sharing the gospel as something very... Um, almost like prepackaged, you know. I've got I've got these lines that I'm going to communicate, uh, and I'm going to, you know, it's going to take me about five minutes, and then I'm going to ask someone, okay, so what now, you know? Um, it's better to think of evangelism, better to think of sharing the gospel, as most often this is going to be an ongoing conversation. You're going to have to clarify things for people. You're going to have to ask some questions to try and discern have they actually 
properly understood me. Right? And so even in this outline then, these are, uh, when we say God, man, Christ, these are things people need to understand. These are, these are um, umbrellas. These are, these are mini topics within the bigger topic. Who is God? Right? What is our relationship to Him? What is our responsibility to Him? What about mankind? Where do we come from? What is our situation now? A lot of people don't think of themselves as lost and needing a Savior. Right? We need to help them see that. In Christ, who is He and why did He come and what did He accomplish? Right? These are things that we need to explain to people, help them understand. Okay, now... We're going to do this over the course of at least two weeks, more likely three. So today we're going to look at points one and two of this outline. That's God and man. God and man. And our key passage for both our points today is Romans 1. So if you're not there already, turn with me please in your Bible to Romans 1 verses 18 to 25. Now this is quite a long section and uh, of scripture and because of the nature of the sermon today I'm not really going to go through it uh, line by line but let me read this whole section for you and then we'll we'll work our way um, through some key points from it Romans 1 verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God, and did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their reasonings, and in their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity in the lusts of their hearts, so that their bodies were dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever." Amen. Now, first of all, what does this passage tell us about God? What does it tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God is creator of all, creator of everything. You did not come from nowhere. God created you. And he created your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. God created all of us. 
And this world did not come from nowhere. God created it, including the oxygen in it that we need to breathe, the water in it that we need to drink, the plants and animals in it that we need for food. My friends, if God made us but did not make this world, we wouldn't have lived for very long. There are dozens and dozens of particulars, particular details that need to be just so in order for this world to support life the way it does. Did you know that if our world was a little bit closer to the sun, we wouldn't be able to handle the heat? Did you know if our world was a little bit further away from the sun, we would freeze? There's dozens and dozens of details like this. God created this world perfectly, perfectly to make life possible here. Your life and mine. And this establishes God's complete and total authority over all of us in every area of life. I often have to explain to my children that different parents have different sets of rules for their children, and that's okay because each kid is under the authority of their particular parents. Okay? So my kids might be able to watch a certain show and somebody else's kids are not allowed to watch this show. That's okay. They need to obey their parents. You obey your parents, so on and so forth, right? Your kids don't have to follow the rules I have for my kids and vice versa. But, right, the way this world works is that there's different spheres of authority as well. I might be fine with my kids climbing trees in general, but if the rules of the school they go to say that kids are not allowed to climb trees on the property, then it's also true that when my kids are at school, they can't climb trees. Okay? Now, the way God is an authority in our life is not just here on Sundays. It's not just in one aspect of our life, right? He has authority over us because he created us. He has authority over everything because he created everything. It's all his. It's all his. And there's no picking and choosing. Different people want to subscribe to different religions. Oh, no, I'm going to follow Buddha. I'm going to, I'm going to be a Muslim. I'm going to be a Hindu, it doesn't matter. This isn't a position that God gets voted in, right? He is the creator and he is an authority over everything. Another thing that's important to note about God is that he is the giver of so many good gifts. So many good gifts. And we should therefore be thankful to Him for creating us and giving us life. Certainly. Certainly. That's not just about His authority. That's also about, wow, God, thank you. Thank you. But over and beyond that, we should be thankful to Him for blessing us with so, so much. 
Friends, every person in your life that is dear to you, every close friend, every family member, every teacher that made a difference in your life, every person in your life that is a blessing is someone created by God. Someone placed in your life by God. Marriage, right? My wife has been given to me by God, but over and beyond that, marriage itself exists because God created it. It was his idea. It was his design. Family is created by God. If any of us have appreciated any aspect of being able to go home for Christmas and, and just sit with Gogol, right? Or being able to play with our, our, our nephews and nieces and just... Um, uh, or, or our own children, the wonder and joy of your own children being born. That incredible relationship that's there, where you just, you, you couldn't imagine, right? You couldn't imagine loving a kid like this until now here is this kid. This is, this is profound, beautiful stuff. It, it's all from God. This world is packed full of beauty and wonder. Some of you will have heard me say this before, but it's well worth thinking on, right? Realize that in order to survive in this world, God could have successfully created us just fine if our bodies were only able to discern, yes, that's good food to eat, no, that's poison. But that's not the way it is. Our bodies can taste a huge array of flavors, and a huge array of flavors are out there. That's God's kindness. That's not necessary. That's not needed. That's just God saying, here's a bunch of awesome stuff. Enjoy it. We don't need a world full of so many different colors, but God gave us one. We didn't need a world so full of different smells, nostalgic smells, right? I bet for some of you, you went home for Christmas and there was, there was, there was a smell or two where you're just like, ah, I'm home, right? A smell that just kicks off all these memories. For me, I, I think of a, a nostalgic sound. When I'm over at my dad's house, he's got this old clock that he's had for, for years, and it, it makes a certain chime on the hour, every hour. And man, if I hear that thing, I hear it, and I'm just, I'm not expecting it, I'm not anticipating it, but bam, all these memories that just flood back, and it's just all these warm, wonderful, rich memories. This is the world God's made. We could have lived and survived just fine in a world that didn't have so many different types of flowers and trees, birds and animals. There's so much out there to amaze us. We didn't need, didn't need to have a world with mountains and waterfalls, sunsets. There's a little bird in my garden called a paradise flycatcher. It's a beautiful, beautiful little bird. It's only about the size of a sparrow. And they're always together in pairs. You've got, uh, you've got the male and the female. And the male has got this long tail, beautiful long, long tail. And they're 
the, the body of the bird is this navy blue and then the back and the tail is, is kind of like a, a, a dark orange. It's a really striking color combination. Beautiful little bird. And this bird is an, is an inter-African migrant, right? Which means that this tiny little thing is only with us here in South Africa for about six months of the year. And then for about six months of the year, it's flying up north to like, you know, kind of Malawi or DRC, something like that. And then it comes back. Okay, now we've been in our home for a few years now, about three, four years now. And what I've come to realize, and, I, and then I, I did the research and found out, yeah, this is exactly true, okay? So first year we're there and we're like, oh cool, we've got these beautiful birds, wonderful. And then the end of the season comes and I know that they migrate. And then I was excited, oh okay, they're back the next year. Okay, cool. And then I started realizing that they're actually breeding in our garden, okay? And I started realizing, okay, hang on, but every year they're breeding. Could this be the same pair? Not just that there's paradise flycatchers in our gardens, but there's the same pair. And here's what's going on, guys. This tiny little bird is coming back to the same tree, countries away, every year to make another nest and have another set of chicks with its monogamous partner flying together across multiple countries and then flying back. When we had GC on Thursday night, Dumi almost got lost. He forgot where we lived. Right? And then he had to turn around and come back. But this little bird doesn't forget. Right? Okay. And this is just one small example. I mean, we're talking about thousands Thousands of different types of animals, deep under the sea, in the Antarctic, in the jungles, in the deserts, reptiles and birds and elephants, whales. This world is incredible. Think about this too. People have a wide variety of interests and things they enjoy. Right now, now some of these things. Some of the things people may enjoy may be out-and-out out sinful things in God's eyes, like, like drunkenness or, or, or taking drugs, right? But most things we enjoy are things God has given us to enjoy. Either God made those things directly, or He made the world in such a way that that thing could exist and be enjoyed. So, for example, right? It's not like God created every song that would ever be written. But he made a world in which our ears could hear a wide variety of musical sounds. He made a world in which sound waves exist. He made a world, he made us able to invent musical instruments and then figure out how to play them. He put all this together, right? The reality, when we enjoy singing, when we enjoy dancing, when we enjoy playing instruments, all of that, again, it's not necessary for survival. But what a wonderful, wonderful gift. Even soccer, my friends, right? 
God didn't have to create a world in which soccer balls bounce, right? In which gravity exists and the ball returns back to the ground so you can keep dribbling. A world where a skillful player can put just the right swerve on, on the ball and have this amazing free kick, right? All of that, God made the world just so, so that we can enjoy what we enjoy. It's all from Him. It is all from Him. This world is packed full of His goodness and His kindness. And we have God to thank for it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Amen. We also see God's godness in this passage. God's deity. He is good. He is glorious. He is powerful. He is worthy of worship. Creation reveals not just that there is a creator, but that this creator is unique. And he's far beyond us. None of us comes, could come anywhere close to doing what God has done in creation. In fact, there's a, at the end of the book of Job, that's how God engages with Job. He takes Job on this tour of creation and essentially just leaves Job at the end of it just humbled and in awe. I, I am not like you, God. I don't know what you know. I don't have the wisdom that you have. I don't have the power that you have. I don't understand. I'm going to just trust you and be in awe and amazement of you. Creation reveals not just that there is a creator, but that this creator is good and kind and generous. All that we've been talking about already, right? The diversity and complexity and beauty of the world God made shows the endless depths of his creativity, his knowledge, his wisdom, his power. Everything, everything is created but him. He alone is self-existing. He alone has eternally existed. He alone is in this category, all on his own. We should be in awe of God. We should be humbled by him. We should be amazed at his kindness to us. We should be full of gratitude. He alone is God and worthy of worship. Now, what does this passage tell us about man? What does this passage tell us about man? Well, at the very beginning of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, we were told that God created man good and without sin. And he placed him in a beautiful garden where everything, the plants, the animals, the creatures of all sorts, everything was perfectly good. And that was called the Garden of Eden. And that's how mankind began. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And ever since then, this world has been cursed. It's still full of beauty and amazing things, but now affected by sin. And it's not just that our original ancestors rebelled against God. This passage shows us that mankind sadly continues to rebel against God. 
We may no longer be in the perfect Garden of Eden, but we're still in a world packed with beauty and goodness. Beauty and goodness that makes it abundantly clear that we have a Creator who made us and a Creator who has given us many, many good things that we should be grateful for. But instead of humbly giving thanks, instead of honoring Him as God, we stubbornly continue to turn our back on Him and go our own way. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What does that mean? What does it mean to suppress the truth? Well, as we've been talking about, this passage goes on to tell us that creation clearly tells us not just that God is real, right? But that we know it. (laughs) We know it. We see it. We know it. God has made it plain to us. He's made it evident to us. Now, a lot of people won't, won't agree with that, right? You can engage somebody on the street, and a lot of people are going to tell you something along the lines of, hi, oh, you know, if God is real, why doesn't, he, why doesn't he show us? They say as they stand in the sun and hear the birds singing and breathe God's oxygen. Why doesn't he show us? Right? But in our unrighteousness, in our sinfulness, we suppress the truth and its implications. See, here's the thing. We don't want to be honest about there being a God who we owe absolutely everything to. Why don't we want to be honest about that? Because if we are honest about that, then that means He is in control. He has authority. We owe our lives to Him. And we are no longer the ones on the throne. We don't get to live for ourselves anymore. We don't get to have our whole world, our whole life revolve around ourselves and our own preferences and our own desires. We like being king, thank you very much. So, you start telling me that there is somebody who has a claim to authority over my life. Somebody who's made everything. And I, as this passage goes on to say, I might even become an absolute fool in the lengths I'm willing to go to to make arguments. Ah, no, that's not clear. Mm -mm. Who says? No, no, no. You see, what really happened is that two nothings banged together to make a something. And then... There was a jellyfish, and then the jellyfish became a chimpanzee, and then that became a human being. Come on, guys. Seriously? Seriously. And we teach this stuff as if this is this is the enlightened knowledge. That's not anybody's first reaction when they see the creation. We know there's something amazing. There's a designer behind it. That these things are not just happening by accident. 
Hey, this tiny little bird figures out by accident how to travel multiple countries every year and come back to the same tree on its own. Come on. But this is where we go. This is where we go. We suppress the truth. Here's an illustration I know several of you have heard me use before, but I'll stick with it. I'll use it again because I think it's helpful. Have you ever packed a cupboard so full of stuff that you just you can't get the door closed, right? Everything You've tried to pack things in there neatly, but everything's just piled on top of each other. And the reality is as soon as you step away from that door, the door flies open and everything pours out. Suppressing the truth is like trying to keep that door closed. You know, you know, that if you just step away for a moment, if you're just honest with yourself for a second, creation declares the glory of God. There's no way around it. There is a God and He is amazing. But you don't want to accept that because you don't, want, you don't like the implications of it. So you just keep pushing that door closed. Pushing that door closed. But here's what happens, right? Every delicious meal, every sunrise, every beautiful song, every special family moment is like somebody from behind just pushing more and more into that cupboard, right? More and more that just declares, there's a God behind all of this. And we, you can't keep this up. I'm just desperately leaning into this cupboard forever and ever, just putting all this effort into, no, God can't be real. That's what people do. That's what people do. They won't, again, they won't necessarily realize it. They'll believe their own lies. They'll believe their own lies. But they have told these lies to themselves because of what they want to be real, the reality they want to live in, instead of just looking at things honestly and embracing God's reality that he declares in creation. This is a little bit like blue ticking. I don't know if everybody uses that term. I know some people use that term. What I mean by blue ticking is, uh, is on WhatsApp, right? You send a message and you can first tell that the message gone, has gone through because there's two ticks now next to the message. And, if you can, and then if somebody reads the message, now then the, those two ticks become blue, right? And so I guess sometimes people use this term of blue ticking. If you can tell, hey, I can see there on my phone, they read the message, but now where's the answer to my question, right? Where's the response? And you send multiple messages and multiple messages, the ticks, okay, that one's blue, that one's blue, that one's blue, that one. Hey, man, how many messages must I send now before this guy's going to get back to me? Right? Now, here's the reality, right? Since everything in this world is shouting that there's a great and glorious God behind it all, it's like your phone just... just you just that inbox is just, you look at your inbox and you're like several thousand notifications, right? And what are those, who's those notifications from? Those notifications are from God. And then you, you, you open it up and you, you read every message, right? 
And what, what is it all saying? Don't you see my glory and goodness in that delicious meal? Don't you see my glory and goodness in how faithfully your mother has loved you and your gogo has, has prayed for you every day? Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see? Will you give thanks? Will you give thanks? Will you honor me as God? But then if God's looking at his WhatsApp, he just sees blue ticks. Blue ticks. And I say blue ticks because he, he knows not only that the message has been delivered, he knows you've seen it. That's, this passage is very clear. He's made it evident to us. You've seen it, you've understood, and you, but you choose not to respond. Holding God off at arm's length. No, no, no. Yeah, it's very clear, but no. No. To not be grateful for all he's done for us, friends, is wicked. It's wicked. We were created good. We were part of a creation that was good in every way. And still, to this day, we know everyone, whether they, whether they agree with us or not, deep down they know. They know God's goodness. They know His glory. They know His power. He's made it clear to them. We are without excuse. We, therefore, are under God's wrath for suppressing the truth about Him. For not being thankful to Him. For continuing in foolishness and stubborn rebellion. Following our own way and worshipping the creation rather than the Creator. This is the essence of our sinfulness. Our rejection of an incredibly, amazingly good and glorious God. This is what we must tell people. This is what we must help them understand. Here are a couple other verses that can be helpful when it comes to giving people very specific examples that can help them see that they're more sinful than they think they are because this is generally what you're going to encounter with people, right? Everybody thinks that they're pretty good. Everybody thinks that they're not as sinful as they are. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You've already committed murder in your heart when you allow yourself to get angry and bitter towards somebody. You... You know, right? In fact, this is actually one of the big things, right? I haven't murdered anybody. Right? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you, oh, what? 
Okay. All right. Let me find it quickly. I, I printed the wrong thing. Excuse me. Matthew 5. It's just a few verses further down. Just a second. Twenty-seven, Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay. I would never do that. You've done it. You can guarantee it at some point, right? We are sinners, and we need a Savior, right? We're sinners, and we need a Savior. This sermon series is about sharing the gospel, but let's be sure to apply this passage to our own hearts as well, right? Let's cultivate thankfulness towards God. Let's pay attention to the many ways He has blessed us, to the many ways this world puts his glory on display. Let's not allow anything amazing to become old news. Let's be thankful and full of worship. Worship, worship, worship. Thinking specifically of evangelism, when you share these truths with people, I want to encourage you to be unashamed. Be unashamed. I don't mean to be a jerk, okay? I don't mean to, to take your Bible and wallop people over the head. Ah, no, I'm being bold. No, you're being a jerk. <laughs> okay? You can be unashamed of these truths even as you're gentle and kind in how you share them, right? But be unashamed. Which doesn't mean, also, it doesn't mean that there'll never come a place where uh, you're not going to answer some questions. Uh, you, know, you know, if somebody says, no, I, I genuinely, I don't know if God's real. Okay? Now, the Bible does say otherwise, but again, that doesn't mean that this person has connected the dots. They're, they're living in a lie, right? So, sure, you might want to give them some more evidence, you can give them some details about just how incredible creation is and, and you can give them some evidence that debunks evolution. You can have some of those conversations. Sure, that's fine. But as you talk to them, talk to them from a perspective where there's no question in your mind. <laughs> there's no question in your mind. And even as you talk to them, you, you, you're still kindly telling them, there is clear evidence. We all know, deep down. Sure, we can talk about that, but we do all know that there is a God behind all this because it's just its too intricate. It's too complex. It's too beautiful. It's too profound. It's too good. It, there's no way it just happened, right? And so we engage from that position where, where we know what is true and we're not, we're not half-hearted or, or on the fence about that. 
be unashamed then also about the fact that God has authority over every one of us. A lot of people will try and say, okay, well, that's good for you. But as for me, I'm going to follow this mix of this Eastern religion and this thing, or I'm going to, you know, the, the important thing is the morality, right? So I like, I'm going to follow a Christian morality. People are, there's, people are going to have different, they're, they're going to want you to be okay with, okay, you do your Christian thing, and let me do mine. Let me do something different. And be unashamed in saying to them, sorry, it's not the way this works. God has authority over you as well. He doesn't get voted in. He is the creator. He is the king. You must be thankful to him. You must honor him as God. And be unashamed about the wickedness Right? The wickedness of rebelling against the God who has given us so much and is so glorious and good. Right? Don't accept the perspective that people have that they're not such a bad person. Help them to see that they've spat in the face of God again and again and again, and it is wicked. Now, we're going to have to stop here today, but this is kind of a crazy place to stop, right? Because where are we? <laughs> where are we in this? We, we're right in the middle of hard stuff, bad news. God creates us and gives us so much. We reject him. We spit in his face. We choose our own way. And then rightly so, we get expelled from his presence. It could so easily be the end of the story, couldn't it? So easily that could be the end of the story. God would have done nothing wrong. We would have got exactly what we deserve. It would be good and right for us to be under the wrath of God forever. My friends, this is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are fully deserving of his wrath and condemnation. But Ephesians 2 tells us, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace is the most beautiful word in the world. When we fully come to understand this, and, and well, even partially come to understand this, because I'm nowhere near fully understanding this, right? But when we realize how great and glorious God is and how wicked our rejection of him is, how amazing is it that this is not the end of the story here? But that... 
we still have more to talk about next week. We can talk about why Jesus came, what he accomplished. But for now, know this, know this, right? He came to save. He came to save sinners. Praise God. If anybody, uh, anybody here maybe came in not a Christian today, please talk to me. Shlanchlo, wave your hand around. There's other people you can talk to as well. But if you want to hear the rest of the message, you don't have to wait till next week. We'll happily, gladly, joyfully tell you about it right now. Okay? All right, let's pray. Let's pray. God, I do pray that we, um, we would be amazed at you. Just your, your goodness and glory. But God, certainly part of that goodness and glory is, 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 in, is wrapped up in this gospel message. It's wrapped up in the fact that you don't just punish us and leave us. But that you so love the world that you sent your only son. So God, help us to love the gospel. Help us to love you more because of the gospel. Help us to be passionate and unashamed about sharing the gospel. And God, equip us to explain it well and help us to be faithful to share it with others. And God, as we do so, would you save many, many people, please? Will many, many people Please, God, spend eternity around your throne praising you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.